and thank you so much. Yeah, that's what, what the Lord is going to say to everyone that truly knows the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. When we pass out of this world, it's going to be welcome home there from our Savior. We praise the Lord for that truth. And uh, we're going to sing one more. This is just a little chorus. But it goes along with the theme that I've asked you to think about as we look at these songs. Open my eyes, Lord. We want to see Jesus. You may remain seated there. Sing with me, please. But grow in the grace, the spiritual graces, 
and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are to grow. We're to look in God's Word and to grow in God's Word in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, which will help us in these spiritual graces. In Ephesians 4, 18, it speaks of the lost people and it says them by description that they are blind, spiritually blind. The blindness of their hearts. Satan has blinded them lest they see to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the only hope for the lost then is not our cleverly uh, thought-through presentations uh, of what they need, but what they need is the Word of God. It's the only thing that can open their eyes. Faith comes by hearing, specifically by hearing the Word of God. And so when we witness to a person that is spiritually blind, that does not know to understand, it is not we're trying to sell them on that idea. That's not our, our responsibility. Jesus said, you shall be witnesses unto me. A witness just shares what they have experienced or seen or heard themselves. And so when I witness to someone, I so often ask permission, can I share with you how I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior? I can witness unto them how I came to that knowledge of the truth, and I use Scripture in sharing that truth, and that Scripture is the power of God in their life to open their eyes to see their need of making a similar type of choice to receive Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's what witnessing is to those that are spiritually blind, the blindness of their heart. Moses' example in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 27 about the sight of faith. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Moses saw God, or kept his faith because of, of uh, what he knew of God. He looked unto him. We praise the Lord for that example. Vision is therefore what we keep our eyes on. Vision is what we concentrate our thinking on. And therefore, I want us to see this morning some examples of that in Scripture. Father, I pray that you would help me to be able to share very clearly the truth that you laid upon my heart. I pray that your Holy Spirit would give me the power in sharing that and that you would help each one of us not to be distracted in any way, but that we would concentrate our attention on what you have to say today and that you would allow us, Lord, to see ourselves as you see us and adjust anything in our life that needs that adjustment, that we would repent of any sin, that we would turn to you fully, and that we would seek to please you in our lives as we should. For it's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. I want us to look uh, here. You turn with me to Luke 9. We'll get to it in just a moment. But you remember Lot's wife? She's in Scripture for that very purpose. To remember Lot's wife. Okay? I uh, remember that Lot separated from Abraham. Uh, and uh, Abraham said, you know, you go your way, I'll go my way. Uh, you choose which way you want to go, I'll go the opposite. Lot looked up his eyes, and we'll get to that a little bit later too, but he chose the plain of Jordan that was well watered, and he pitched his tent towards Sodom. Later on, he was in Sodom, and, it's, and the, the sin of the Sodomites there in Sodom, uh, homosexuality, vexed his soul. 
and he lost quite a bit. He lost his testimony because his standards, his morals were affected. He lost his family, uh, his daughters, and uh, who had married the two. Uh, they wouldn't even listen to him to get out, and the angels told him to get out of the of Sodom because of God said, "I'm going to destroy it with fire and brimstone." They would. They said, "Yeah, you know, since when has God been speaking to you?" Why? They wouldn't even listen to him. And then, uh, of course, his other two daughters still living at home. Uh, he had lost them as well. And uh, we see some of the things afterwards that illustrate that. But even in leaving, God said, don't even look behind. And Lot's wife looked back, and God turned her into a pillar of salt as a memorial to remind us. Therefore, remember Lot's wife. What was he, God, reminding us of? She looked back. What's the deal? She looked back, you know. But she looked back with a longing for what she was leaving. It won't just her daughters that wouldn't listen anymore. But it was the life that she had there. You know, there are some Christians who look back and think about what life was like even before they were saved, and they forget what God delivered them from. And it's like a dog returning them to its own vomit. We look at that and think how sick they got. And yet, as Christians, we can be guilty of it. We're told that we're not to look back. We're told that we're, for, we're to forget those things behind. Philippians 3.13 Forgetting those things which are behind. We're to be pressing toward what's before us, the mark. The goal that God has for us of Christ's likeness. And those things that we're to forget about that are behind, not only are those sinful things in our life that God has delivered us from, but we're even to forget the past failures in our life where we have messed up and failed and, and, and we may have regret over. We're to forget those. We're not to be thinking about, looking at, and, and concentrating on. And even the past victories. Now, past victories can be good to remind us and encourage us, but some people live in the past. I knew a lady once, she was only in her 50s, very young lady. <laughs> and, uh, and she uh, talked about all the time what she used to do when she worked in the youth group there at the church. And she was very active in those years. But now, my question was, what are you doing now for the Lord? That's great back then. There were victories back then. But what about today? Where are you serving the Lord? What capacity are you serving God today? Forgetting those things which are behind, the sinful things. Forgetting the failures that have taken place in our past. Forgetting even the victories that are there and setting forth to do and to serve and to please God today. That's what we're to do. Not looking backward. Looking backward, number one, hinders us. It hinders our progress with the Lord. Look at these um, examples we have in Luke chapter 9. I want you to look at the last verse where Jesus said unto them, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. 
No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for that. That's not just a, a good um, uh, principle to teach you how to plow a field straight. It's not just a good principle to teach you how to cut grass out here in straight roads. Because if you look back, you're going to get crooked. That's fine. But what was God saying here? Look at the context of what we have before us. Looking back, uh, the three would-be disciples of God, would-be followers of God, uh, of the Lord. It says in verse 57, It came to pass that as they went away, a certain man said unto him, said unto Jesus, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. I'll go with you wherever you go. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man, speaking of the title of the Messianic title for himself, Jesus said, He does not have where to lay his head. With me, I don't have a lot of possessions. I don't even have a house that I know where I'm going to sleep tonight. We never hear anything else about this would-be follower of Jesus. Never do we hear we ever. We could say then his vision of possessions hindered him. He didn't want a life that did not have those things. He did not want a life that did not have those promises, those provisions. His possessions hindered him. Verse 59, he said unto another, Jesus said unto him, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer, permit me first to go and bury my father. Now, in the indication of the scripture here, his father had not just died. Matter of fact, his father was not even sick, most likely. What he was saying is, allow me first to have some time until maybe after my dad dies, and then I will come and serve you. I'll follow you then. Notice the reasoning that is here. His vision of possibilities hindered him. There are a lot of possibilities. There are a lot of things that I might be able to accomplish and do. And once I get those things kind of checked off in my life, then I'll serve you. Do you know any Christians like that today? Could there be possibility that you may be one? That have reasoned with God and said, Lord, I know that we need some nursery workers right now. And I, I know that the you know, children's church is probably going to be starting back here shortly and they're going to need some teachers and helpers. And I know that our youth ministry, and, you know, but you know, maybe after you know, these things kind of settle down in my life, then I'll make myself available unto you. What about right now, God says? Again, there's no indication we never hear anything else about this would-be disciple. Part of the problem, as I've taught you before, is what we have, and I underline in my Bible, I hope you have it underlined in your word, commit me first to go do this. Me first attitude that is there. Verse 61, another said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first, there we go, let me first go bid them farewell which are at home in my house. A vision of people. Family, friends can hinder you. What's a, I mean, you want me to come follow you and I tell parents I'm gone? You know, that's not what he was saying. 
But again, it was the, let me first be with him. Let me spend some time with him. Let me do, you know, because Jesus took issue with it. And that's where Jesus said, no man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Follow me, but I want to first you know, check off these things. I want to first be involved with these people. I want to first. And Jesus is saying to each one of us today, unless I am first, I'm not Lord of your life. And so what is going to be our answer to him? We're not to let these things, possession, possibilities, people, none of these things that we're looking back to should hinder us from following the Lord in our progress. God said then in Galatians 4, 9, but now after that you have known God or rather are known of God, how turn you again into the weak and barely, uh, uh, barely elements whereunto you again desire again to be in bondage. Why, after you've gotten saved, are you looking back at those things with a desire? In chapter 5 of Galatians, verse 1, he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Don't keep looking back at those things which will hinder your progress. The next Illustration we have, or example of it, is found in Matthew 14. If you'll turn over there, Matthew 14. In Matthew 14, we have a familiar passage here. The Lord Jesus uh, told his disciples to get in the ship, get the boat, and go to the other side. And there's a storm, great storm that came up, and uh, Jesus went out walking on the water. Um, past the disciples there that saw him thought that they had seen a ghost they were terrified and Jesus said be not afraid the actual word is there in verse uh, uh, 27 be not afraid I am it is I, I am and Peter said Lord if it's you let me come unto you on, on, the, on the water and we just heard a message just recently uh, there at First Baptist, or Gospel Light Baptist, that they were temper Bible. I thought it was very good on this passage. He was saying from the standpoint that, you know, Jesus told him to get in the boat and go to the other side. He never told him to get out of the boat. And when we face all the, the storms of life and stuff, stay in the boat. Don't abandon. Don't abandon ship. Stick to it. Great, great message. But here, Peter's asking some more can if, if it's you, then he's coming to you. And Jesus said, come. All right, that's okay. He got out of the boat, but Jesus said, come. And when he got out of the boat, he started walking on the water. No other human being has ever walked on the water. Other than Lord Jesus Christ, God's Son. But you know what it says there. That when he looked around and he started seeing the, the waves and the, and the, the wind and pushing the waves and stuff. He began to sink. And we know that represents when we get our eyes off of the Lord Jesus and we get our eyes on the circumstances, the problems uh, that are going on all around us, we begin to sink in despair. And Jesus said to Peter, oh ye of little faith. Little faith. 
looking and thinking what we look at, we think about looking and thinking on our surrounding hardships, we begin to sink in despair, just like Peter. Could be a workload. It could be uh, finances. Could be health. Could be a coronavirus. Could be riots in the streets. It could be relationships. It could be a marriage. It could be all kinds of things that we stop looking at the Lord and we start looking and concentrating upon the problems and we begin to sink in despair. What are we looking at? All problems are difficult. You remember the whole song, Don't stare up the stairs, just step up the steps, little by little, inch by inch. With God, all things are possible. All difficult and problems can be faced. God promises that whatever we go through, His grace is sufficient to help us take those steps. But we can't stare up the stairs and look at the massiveness of the problem. We just have to take His hand and step one step at a time. And He'll lead us through. What are you looking at? Looking at difficulties discourages us. Then thirdly, looking at earthly things tempts us. There are quite a few examples of this in Scripture right from the beginning. Eve. You remember how that with Eve that Satan came to him the form of the serpent and to her and, uh, and said hey, you know, you consider this and, and what about this tree here? And she said, we're not supposed to eat it. And you see God's holding out on you, pretty much. Um, he doesn't want you to have that kind of enjoyment, fun. And it says that in verse 6, Genesis 3, 6, And when the woman saw, there's a vision, When the woman saw the tree was good for food, it was pleasant to look at and desired to make one wise, she took of it and did eat and gave it to Adam and the fool ate it. See what he was eating. But it started with a look. She saw, she desired, and she took. The devil does the same thing with you and I today. What we look at, what we think about then, we desire it, and we ultimately become. It affects us. Lot, as I mentioned earlier, remember how that in Genesis 13, uh, when Abraham said, you choose your way, I'll go the other way, it says in verse 10 that Lot lifted up his eyes and he saw the plain of Jordan that was well watered. And he said, you know, there's a mountain desert, you know, ain't got much of it. Oh, look at this 
fertile land, and I think I'll go down this way. And so he chose him that area, and then it says that and then he pitched his tent toward the Sodom. You know, I need a little, he's not too far away, so I can do some trading, you know. And before long, we find him living in the Sodom. And we find him losing his testimony, losing his standard, losing his family. All because he first looked toward and saw. Aiden in Josh, uh, Joshua chapter 7 and verse 21, God had told the children of Israel, says when you go to battle, that you not take the spoils of, of that city. And yet Aiden took the spoils of Jericho. And, and he said that when he saw among the spoils the garments and the, the silver and the gold, he says, then he says, I coveted them and I took them. And they are hid. I dug a hole in my tent there and hid them in the tent. When I saw the things, I desired them. I coveted them. And when I coveted them, then I decided I'm going to take them. And when I took them, then I had to cover it up and hide it so no one would know. Sin is exactly that way. The devil wants us through his demons to look, to consider that which he puts before us. Because he knows if he can get our attention to think about that, we're going to want it. And if we want it, excuse me, we're going to seek to make a way to get it. David, King David, is the illustration of that as well. 2 Samuel chapter 11. It was the times in which kings went out to battle, but David stayed behind. No big deal. Okay, I'm all right with that. David went up on the top of his roof of castle there in the late evening, cool of the night. I don't have any problem with that. He looked over in the city and all of a sudden he realized there was a lady down here on her rooftop washing herself. Here's a choice. He could have gone to boats and got off the roof. No problem. There would have been temptation, but temptation is not sin. It's when we begin to indulge the temptation and it says, the scripture says, that she was beautiful to look upon. He continued to look. That's when the sin started. And then he took it further and he began, as he was thinking about that, he inquired, who is that woman down there? Found out who she was. Then he invited her over and worked it out. A child was conceived. Well, I've got problems. Let's bring her husband home from war. Why don't you go home and spend some time with your wife? But her husband was too honorable a man and said, I'm not going to do that while the rest of my friends are out here in battle. And he stayed right there at David's door. And so David said, all right. He sent him back with orders, sealed. The general got the order, put him in the front of the battle, in the hottest part, 
and then pull back from him, let him be killed. David ordered his execution, his murder. Starting with a look that continued the look that became the desire that he inquired for and took. And then he had to try to cover it up. Sin works the same way all throughout. It starts with a look of the earthly things that can tempt us. And then last, looking Christward saves us. Looking Christward saves us. And there are two aspects in this. Number one, obviously, is initially salvation. Jim <clears throat> Jewel read there in John chapter 3, uh, verses 14 and following. I had him read that because of this particular point. Jesus said in John 3, verse 14 and 15, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. What was the serpent that was lifted up in the wilderness? If you remember in the wilderness wandering before the children of Israel came across Jordan into the promised land after they had been delivered from Egypt, there were these snakes, these serpents, that bit them that they would become deathly ill uh, with a great temperature of fever. These fiery serpents were everywhere, and, and the people of Israel were dying left and right. And so they cried out to Moses to cry out to God and deliver them from these fiery snakes. And God told Moses to take a take brass and make a brazen serpent, put it on a pole, and stick it up in the midst of the children of Israel. Now, it wasn't just a camp of a few hundred or a few thousand people. We're talking about probably a million plus people. And when they got bit, Moses said, God said that if you will just look at the serpent on the pole, you'll be healed. And great inquiring minds of science said, what in the world is up with that? That's crazy. How can looking at a serpent on a pole do anything for snake bite that's going to kill you? And some people still die. But some people looked at the pole. Now there was nothing magical about the serpent on the pole. There was nothing magical about the pole. What God said to do was to look and live. My brother live, as we say. And it was not the look itself, but it was the faith to believe what God said to do would heal them. And by faith they were healed. Look and live. Look to Jesus Christ and live. <clears throat> it was an illustration, a type, if you will, of Jesus Christ. And that he, as, the, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, be lifted up on Calvary's cross, that whosoever by faith would look unto him should be healed of their sin condition and receive eternal life. That's what God offered. We see that with what, what Jesus Christ presented so initially, looking Christ would means to look 
by faith unto Jesus Christ, by faith believing that we are a sinner and we do have a need. God, because of his, his holiness and his justice, has to, to judge sin. And the judgment of sin, the wages of sin, is death, not just physically, but spiritually separated from God in a place called hell and the lake of fire. And the remedy of that is that God says, if you'll look to Jesus Christ by faith, whosoever shall fall by the name of the Lord shall be saved. We can look to Him. We can, by faith, make a choice to receive Him as our Savior. And our sins are removed. The righteousness of Christ is deposited. We're given eternal life. We're made God's Son. We're born again, spiritually alive, unto the Lord. You've never done that so far? I invite you to do that this morning. Don't leave today without knowing for sure that you have made that choice to receive Christ. Looking Christ which saves us initially. But it also is the second aspect of it, and that is daily. Remember Peter walking on the water? As long as he looked to Christ, he walked on the water. As long as he kept his eyes on him. But when he got his eyes off the Lord and started looking at the problems, he sank in despair. How does God save us? By keeping our eyes on Him. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Uh, verse 1 says that we are to run the race that is set before us with endurance. Verse 2 says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame of my sin and yours being on Him. <coughs> We have Jesus Christ, the one that we are to look to. Now, the question, how do you look to Jesus Christ every day as believers? And held it up right here. And Jesus told us in John 5, 39, and he said, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. Well, they are they that testify of me. He was talking about the Old Testament scriptures. We already know the New Testament scriptures testify of the Lord Jesus Christ. But God says, the Lord, Lord says, the Old Testament and New Testament testify of me. How do we keep our eyes in looking unto Jesus? We keep our eyes in the Word of God. Every day, we need to be looking into God's Word. I have dealt with people before where I've made that statement and presented that, that truth. And this is the response. I know. They walk away and they don't do it. You have a choice today. You can say, I know. You can walk out of here and do it, or you can walk out of here and not do it. But if you don't keep your eyes on Jesus, you're going to keep your eyes on something. And what you look at affects you. You're either going to see, or you're going to be saved by looking to Him through His Word. The choice is yours. 
Keep your eyes off of a past sinful life. Keep your eyes off the surrounding hardships that are there. Keep your eyes off of the physical possessions in this life of what it has to offer. And keep your eyes off of the, the temporary things of this world. But keep your eyes on Christ as your Savior. Keep your eyes on Christ as the sustainer. So my question to you this morning, what are you looking at? What are you watching? What are you beholding? We behold in the Word of God the glory of the Lord so that we can be changed into the same image. It's your choice to do what God says or to stubbornly walk out and do what you want. What's your choice today? Every head out, please. <clears throat> In just a moment, we're going to sing a chorus. This is simply turn your eyes upon Jesus. That's what we need to do. Are you willing to do that today? Either by salvation, making that initial choice. You want someone to to talk to you about that, we'll be glad to have someone take your side. Or just to commit to the Lord today. Say, Lord, help me to keep my eyes on you. There's so many things in this world that wants to draw my attention. But keep my eyes on you. Father, I pray that we would make the decisions this morning that would please you and not just try to please ourselves. For it's in Jesus that we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. We're going to sing this chorus only of Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. As we sing it, let's sing it through twice. If you need to speak to me about any kind of a choice, especially in salvation, you come forward here as we begin to sing. Come on down, please. <clears throat> 